Hello friends, welcome to the Transformational Podcast, the podcast for field services traders who want to transform their trade business. I'm your host, Adrian Fedini, and I'm the owner of Transformation. We are a coaching and sales training business for field services traders. Today, I'm honored and excited to be joined by internationally renowned sales expert and a dear friend of mine for 10 years, Kean McLaughlin. Kean is the CEO of Trinity Perspectives, a boutique training and consulting company specializing in win-loss analysis review and sales transformation. He's also the author of Amazon bestseller, Rebirth of a Salesman, and co-author of the Amazon bestseller, Secrets for Business Success, and has been voted one of the top 50 sales bloggers in the world for the past four years running. With no further ado, I'd like to bring Kean McLaughlin to the microphone. And how are you today, mate? Doing well, thanks, mate. I'm, uh, I'm sitting here. I've got a cup of coffee. I'm chatting to you, so that's always a good day. Mate, thank you so much for taking the time out to, to be on this call with us. I think, I mean, it's, it's, I'm going to get teary-eyed. <laughs> I haven't even started the call, and I'm, I'm getting tears of inspiration. I've got to give credit where credit's due. Uh, Keen was the inspiration. Or the, sorry, I won't, won't even say inspiration. He was the kick in the butt I needed to go and become a sales trainer in the beginning, we, we knew each other through some networking circles and I was thinking, what training can I do? What qualification can I get? And Keen kept looking at me, goes, Adrian, you are ready, go. And it was the, it was the gentle push, maybe, maybe not so gentle, but it was the push that got me out to, uh, to do what I love and hence why I have tears in my eyes most days of the week. So very much thank you for that, mate. Um, so yeah, a bit about our, our relationship. We met through networking groups and uh, I loved sales and we loved when sales is done right. And we really, really had a lot of coffees and conversations around, um, unfortunately, how sales is misunderstood around Australia. Um, yeah. Today, we're going to be talking about win-loss reviews. What, what is a win-loss win reviews? Uh, obviously, my traders have probably never even heard of it. Probably even half the corporate world hasn't heard of it. That's right. What is a win-loss review, mate? Look, it's just, a, it's just a term that we've coined for doing a bit of a debrief at the end of a of sales cycle. Or, or an engagement with a customer. Um, so it's, it's nothing fancy at all. It's really just saying, you know, a lot of the answers to the questions we have in business or in sales about why we win and why we lose and what we've done well and what we've done poorly, a lot of those answers sit in the head of our customers. And this is just about finding a, a way to, you know, to get those answers out and then to learn from them. So I, you know, I played sport all my life. I know you play, you play soccer as well. Um, in, in most sports, the athletes, certainly in professional sports, and we call ourselves professionals in what we do. In most sports, the professional um, people will will do some level of analysis. They'll watch the game tape back afterwards and say, what can I learn from this? You know, what can I learn about my own performance, but also what can I learn to maybe improve the team around me? Um, we need to do that in business. And one of the easiest ways that I've discovered to do that is we go and talk to our customers and we say, can you give us some feedback? You know, we'd love to hear how we did and we'd love to hear if there's areas that we can improve on or if there's things that we did really well that you, you know, you really appreciated. 
it didn't even occur to us that that was something that might might kind of you know separate us from from other tradies other plumbers other electricians because we just do it as as a natural part of our our, our daily activity but actually it's something that w- which really stands out from the crowd so it's it's saying if we've done a halfway decent job we've earned the right to a little bit of feedback at the end of the process we should collect that we shouldn't leave it sitting there because it's that feedback that can give us probably the single quickest mechanism to improve our business so that's what win loss is mate uh, look it lines up so uh, funnily enough so, so uh, aligned with my view and my uh, what i say to my guys inside some of our events uh, in fact probably say 99 percent of the time I, I don't want my guys to go out there and make lots and lots of sales i want them to go and make lots of sales or understand when i said this that's when i won the sale or when i said that that's when i lost the sale that's what sales mastery is, but you can't work that out until you get the feedback that you've just mentioned. Correct. Yeah, so, it's really interesting. It's 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 all these little two percenters. You know, I would I would hazard a guess that you know the, the folks that you work with aren't fifty percent better plumbers than the next plumber or fifty percent worse. You know, it's tiny little increments. It's it's I went on your website, how easy was it to find the information? I called the number, how quickly did you respond? You know, did you did you text me before you arrived? Did you stroll in and put mud all over my carpet? Or did you, you know, did I have any any nasty shocks or surprises? You know, I thought it was gonna be, you know, a, a two hundred dollar job to unblock a, a drain and actually you tell me it's six grand to, you know, to to rip and replace a whole section. It, it's all of these little things which are not 50% different. It's little increments of 2%. That's often, you know, what determines if we, if we succeed or fail. Mate, um, question for our traders listening. How could they start to perform a win-loss review? Where would you, where would you start? Well, look, I think the, the, the easiest way to do it, I mean, if you think about it for a moment, right, every time you get an Uber, right, you climb out of the Uber and what happens? Your phone pings and it, you get like three questions. You know, how was your, how was your experience and how would you rate this driver and would you like to give him or her um, a tip, right? So at the point where you've just, had, you've just experienced the service, as, as consumers, we're more and more used to doing a little micro survey at that point and answering some questions. It's the same with Uber Eats. It's the same with a whole lot of other different things. So I think that's the point I would say that you, you should target your, your questions. And you don't want to ask, you know, 50 questions. You want to ask as, as few a number of questions as you can to make it easy for people to respond to, but to give you the information you need. So that could be five questions or maybe seven, you know, what were we like here? How did you find us? What was this? Were there any nasty surprises or whatever it might be? And you can help help the, the team work out what those questions should be. But that's the point. You've done the job, you've earned the right to the feedback, you collect the feedback, and then importantly, you do something with it. Because a lot of the time, if I answer a survey, my assumption is it disappears into a black hole, never to be seen again, no one's gonna do anything with it. So imagine how, how I would feel as a, as a householder, if you came and did a piece of work and it was a good piece of work, and then I gave you some feedback, and then you closed the loop and you said to me, by the way, really appreciate your feedback, we've changed this little thing, you know, because you told us that, and it made, made a lot of sense to us. I, I, you know, I would feel so, amazed because a someone listened to me and b someone actually took some action that's that's very flattering um to to be on the receiving end of that it's great to feel that you've made an impact upon a, a like on yeah a service provider absolutely so tell me um crafting these questions i, I know it's, it, it could be a little bit tricky any tips that you could uh, think of on how to 
to work out? Would it, would it be based on the sales journey? What, what would be your advice on how to craft yeah, those questions? It, look, first is, is don't overcomplicate it. You know, don't go looking for, for you know, the $64,000 question because if you get that answer, it's going to change your business because it, it's not that complex. But, but the sales journey is not a bad way to look at it. So if you actually, no, that's the wrong way to look at it. The customer buying journey or the customer interaction journey is a much, much better way to think about it. So how do they find you, right? Um, you, you know, wasn't word of mouth referral. And you guys would probably answer, ask that question most times anyway. Um, you know, what were we like to interact with? So, we're, you know, were we easy? Were we responsive? Did you know what you were, you, you know, did you know what we were going to do, for example? Maybe it's like a pre-questionnaire or something so that when they arrive, they're ready to roll. Um, and then, you know, things about professionalism. So were, were we on time? Were we tidy? Were we, um, did we leave the place as good as, you know, when we arrived? Um, and then obviously there needs to be questions around, you know, something to do with price or, or, you know, the professionalism of the job and maybe a couple of different options. Did we give you a couple of different, you know, options to address your problem? Um, and then if you're, if you're really smart, that's a great opportunity to look for a future referral because in most businesses, word of mouth referrals are the single best form of, um, lead that you can ever get. You know, they convert at a higher rate. Their cost is much, much lower. So, you know, is there anyone, you, you, you know, you think we should have a chat to or, or would you be prepared to, you know, refer us in the future? Cause that's a really, really high benchmark. If someone says they're, they're prepared to refer you or more importantly, they'll actually refer you, then you know, you've done a good job. Absolutely. It's uh, I don't know if it's a net promoter question or it's uh, something I learned through the years through Brian Tracy. It's, I think it's on a scale of one to 10, how likely are you to refer us to your friends, family or network? I mean, that, that says it all. If they're prepared to do it, if they're going to refer you to their friends and family, you've ticked the boxes. Well, the only, well, have, the only challenge is what did we do right? <laughs> no, 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 no. I have a bit of a different view on that. So net promoter score said, what is your propensity? How likely are you to refer us? Right. And you could put a 10 for that or a nine or an eight. But for me, the next question is, will you refer us? So, right. so, the, the potential of them to refer you being high is great. So, okay, great. Who, who do you want to refer us to? And that might feel a bit old school and a bit high pressure sales. And it shouldn't be because it's just saying, here's, you know, here's a really easy way to refer us. So, and this is about having a joined up sales thinking. So let's say for a moment, you're in my place and you've done a fantastic job and you ask me, you know, how prepared would you be keen to refer me? And I say, mate, I, that was great. I'd, I'd happily refer you. And you say, well, look, Here's something you can use to refer me. So when the time comes, if you're talking to anyone, it might be a 10% offer, or it might be a two for one, or it might be this, or it might be that, or it might be a contribution to a charity. Like you make a referral and we'll make a contribution to a charity. It doesn't have to be something that comes directly back to me, but that is the moment where they've just said they'll refer you. Make it easy. That's one of the, that's one of the things. And as you said, I talk to corporates, big businesses all the time. And one of the things I say to them is, how can you become easier to do business with? Yeah. And they're like, remove well, the obstacles. Absolutely. Exactly. So are you easy to find? Yes. Are you easy to buy from? Yes. Are you easy to refer? Yes. If you can tick those boxes, you're in pretty good shape, but I'd hazard a guess. Most of the businesses you work with, or certainly most of the businesses I work with can tick three, two, or maybe even one of those boxes. And that's a problem. Absolutely. It's uh, it's really funny. I, I read a book a while back called switch about how to change human behavior. Yeah. And it talks about, um, you've got to show people the first steps. I mean, that's, I'm kind of jumping in halfway through where, what the book talked about, but you've got to make it simple and say when the time is referred, because they might not have anyone to refer there and then. It's not no. likely that you know six people that want their electrical fix, their plumbing fix, but it could happen in months or, or weeks to come. So then when they do, 
Do I have a link? Do I have a voucher? Do I have a coupon? Ideally, it'd be great if it was digital because we're in the digital age and we'd like to, to email, SMS it to somebody rather than have to physically give it to somebody. But what's the step they need to take to make it as easy as possible because Correct. we're all busy. And as much as we loved your service, if it's going to be too cumbersome and too difficult, we're not going to go and do it. That's a, that's a reality. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And I think that's, that's a good rule of thumb for every part of it, not just you know, the referral bit, but it's, it's at every touch point. Look at all of the interactions and ask yourself, you know, could we make this easier? Could we, take, could we remove two or three steps? Could we make, and, and when you've been able to tick those boxes, then you ask yourself the question, how could we make it more enjoyable? How could we make it a nicer experience? How could we make it, you know, um, you, you know, I talked about not giving people a nasty surprise, but the opposite is if you can give them a really pleasant surprise, you know, that's a cool, that's a cool thing to do as well. So if you come to me and you say, Hey, I've done a piece of work, by the way, while I was doing that, I did this, this, and this as well. Now here's a sort of a health check and I've done that. Your pipe should be good for the next nine months. And I wasn't expecting that. I was just expecting the one, like imagine how, how impressed I'll be. You're blown away. It's funny you say that. We've we got a, a friend and a colleague, um, his name's James, and we, we do a lot of business with him. And he, he loves um, process mapping and he, he also uh, helps us with our virtual assistants we have in our team and our tradies teams. Yeah. And he, he, every time we get into a conversation and we start talking about, I need to systemize this, or I need to create a process for that. And we naturally dive into what it is for us. He like slaps us on the wrist and says, who cares about your process? What is it? Like you said earlier, what is the customer's buying journey? When do they, when do they get uh, their first uh, taste of your business or uh, an experience of your business? Yeah, so there's, there's a great story about Jeff Bezos, the, the founder and CEO of Amazon, and that in all meetings he's in, he has an empty chair in the room and that chair is supposed to represent the customer because any conversations they're having um, should have the customer involved in some way, shape or form because they want to be the most customer-centric business on the planet. So if we think about it from that perspective, imagine anytime you're having an internal conversation around a process or getting better at this or whatever, but just imagine you had a customer sitting there in the room. What would they be saying? What would they be chipping in? And as much as possible, think about it from that perspective. Is it going to make their life easier? Is it going to make you know th their experience better? And if the answer to that is yes, we go for our lives. If the answer to that is no, then we have to look really, really carefully. Is that a, is that a smart thing for us to be doing at this point in our business? I like that strategy. I think I'm going to get a mannequin or, or, or some sort of, some sort of uh, figurine in, in the office to ask Who's a rhetorical question yeah. as my customer. Yeah. So on. tell me, mate, I'm, I'm going to change pace a little bit here, mate. Who, who inspires you in your industry and go as broad as you like? You know, it's interesting. If you'd asked me that question a few years ago, I would have said, you know, some of the authors and some of the thought leaders, you know, there's, there's a guy called Dan Pink who wrote a really, really fascinating book called To Sell as Human, who talks about the fact that we're all kind of in sales. And so, you know, I've been very lucky to, you know, to travel and meet people and speak at events. But now I think I would say it's some of the younger salespeople coming into the industry I'm really inspired by because it's, it's a tough job. It's a tough job in sales and it's actually only getting tougher because, you know, um, it's harder to get in touch with people. Nobody's got a desk phone anymore and it's hard to get a mobile number. So how do you kind of break through? How do you get engagement in the first place? So all of these younger salespeople and, and to be fair, some older salespeople who, who are comfortable changing their approach are, are embracing technology, embracing new ideas, you know, finding the stuff that still works in the old school and the stuff that still works in the new school and applying that and working really, really hard to, to build a perspective. Because in the old days, all you had to do effectively was just kind of show up 
and know a tiny bit more than the customer and you, you know you know you had all the knowledge so you had all the power that's all gone now every single customer can research the crap out of it and know more about a topic than you do when you walk in so you've got to bring something else to the table so i've got a ton of respect for you know for small business owners for people who are who are curious to say how can we get better who, who are elevating you you know you and i talked at the start of the call about professionalism in sales um i want the sales professional profession to be something that people aspire to 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 do as a career i just as you do you know the the, the trade and the best way for us to do that is to elevate the professionalism of our industries so people look at it and go yeah awesome i'd love to do that i'm not sure if it was uh I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure it's your friend, Tony, Tony Hughes, I believe it's combo uh, prospecting. prospecting. Yeah. And I think he said, uh, sales is a blue collar profession dressed up in a white collar suit. Uh, it's pretty blue collar when you're a tradie doing sales. It's, there's absolutely no doubt. It's tough. It's hard work. It, it can be, um, it, it's very, very much uh, a contact sport. If, if it was to, to go yeah, along that analogy. It is. But the interesting thing is if you focus on closing, if you focus on making sales, you're, you're going to struggle because what you're doing then is you're putting pressure on yourself. And what happens yeah. is that pressure gets pushed onto the person and it comes across as aggressive or pushy or needy or desperate or whatever. What we need to do instead is focus on, on um, adding value, solving problems, you know, caring and, and, and walking into a situation saying, I might not make a sale here, but I'm going to make sure that I add some value here. I'm going to make sure that I, you know, I come in and, and, and I'm, you know, I'm delivering something of, of, of value back to the person I'm talking to. And that then takes the pressure off your shoulders, takes the pressure off that other person. And they feel, wow, that was really good. I'd like to work with that, that individual. Now it's harder in some respects for you guys, because you need to make the sale when you walk in, you need to make the sale when you're there. So then some of that work needs to be done beforehand. It's what, what call do we have in advance? How easy was it to find us? Did we give you a pre-check that allowed us to walk in and be in a really, really good position? All of those things, are, are kind of need to happen almost ahead of the curve so that you can arrive and make your sale. There's two different types of sales that really take place in a trade business. There's obviously the one that we, you're alluding to right now about a, a plumber or electrician turns up at your door, knocks, and then pretty much have to make a sale there and then. Yeah. But that, that should be, at the end of the day, customers called you for a reason. It's not, they're not there to, to um, kick tires, et cetera. There's yeah. something that's broken and needs to be fixed. But I think also too, it's really important to understand there's a second type of sale in a trade business. And that's when, and it's very, very similar to your world, when we're prospecting for a new chain of nursing homes or daycare yeah. centers or strata companies. And that's when you can completely take the same philosophy of nurture, add value, educate, really, really go and set yourself apart because if you've got enough um, uh, activity happening in your pipeline, you don't care if you get that strata company today because you, you've got another 20 different opportunities, whether, whatever your you selected niche may be. So it, it's absolutely fine not to expect to make a sale in that scenario because you've got another 20 irons in the fire, so to say. So here's what you do in that scenario then, in my opinion. You make sure that you earn the right to move to the next step of the process. So if they're looking yes. at 10 and then they're going to narrow it down to three and then they're going to narrow it down to one, what you need to make sure that you've earned the right. The best way to do that is by adding some value in that interaction and being the lowest risk option. You don't have to be the cheapest. By no means do you have to be the cheapest, but you've got to be the lowest risk. You've got to give them that sense of comfort. Yep, absolutely. Adrian and his team, they'll know what they're doing. They're not going to put a foot wrong. I can trust them. You know, so, so being low risk and also 
you know, the way I think about it is um, if you, if you, if you put all of your focus on sort of earning the right to move to the next step, then you take the pressure off your shoulders and eventually you run out of steps. And that's when, that's when you make the sale. It's funny. I I, probably picked it up from you through osmosis of hanging around you, but I created a prospecting method and every single meeting is what's the next step? How do I make sure I've uh, done enough to, uh, to meet your needs, to satisfy you to move to another meeting, another yep. interaction, something about that. It's actually the final step of that little prospecting process. And then what's really interesting is don't focus on making the sale as the final step. That's, that's just a, an interim step because a lot of the time, and I'm sure you've had this experience as well, a customer is only a customer when they buy from you for the second time. Quite often, the first time they buy from you, they're just dipping their toe in the water. They're giving you an opportunity. And if you do a good job for them, all of a sudden, all this other opportunity opens up. Like you might get one pub and then all of a sudden the chain opens up or you might get one nursing home and then all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're giving you an opportunity. They, they're giving you the chance to prove that all the stuff that you said during the sales cycle was true. And, and it's incredibly important that we don't focus on just making the sale. That's a means to an end what they care about is the outcome, right? That's what we need to be putting our focus. It's not, did I make a sale? It's, did you get the outcome you were expecting? And does that mean that we're going to work together in the future? Because it's so hard to make a first sale. Um, we need to be much, much smarter about how we manage the existing customers we have. So we maximize that opportunity. Your, your biggest client can also become your biggest referrer too. So this, 100%. I've had relationships that last over, over a decade with my um well, you know, Sean, Sean and I are still yep. uh, friends and in contact, even though there's no um, commercial relationship any longer, because we've just, yeah, you, you evolve through that relationship for so long that it ended up becoming a friendship as well. That's exactly Not, not that that's going to happen in every case, but yeah. It's not, it's not going to happen in every case, but you know what? It, it's not going to do you any harm. And I think one of the things we need to, we need to recognize is that people buy with their hearts a lot of the time and they justify with their heads. Whereas a lot of businesses sell directly to people's heads. They're like, we're the cheapest, we're the this, we do this, we do this. And that's all like, yeah, 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 not. But the bit I'm thinking is like, you know, can I trust you that I can leave my keys there and you'll come and you'll come in, let yourself in, do what you need to do, let yourself out, put the keys back. You know, so that's, a, that's, not, a, that's not a head decision. That's a, that's a gut, heart, trust, confidence decision. And a lot of the time we, we only focus on people's heads, whereas actually they're judging us based on a whole lot of other criteria. And we need to be aware of that. In one of my, again, we're going through, I, I, I might start calling myself the quoting man from now on. One of my other favorite quotes, and I'm pretty confident this one is original, but if it's not, who cares? Connect from heart to heart, not head to wallet. It, it's definitely, you've got a human, like I think you even said it at one point, it's not B2B sales, it's not B2C sales, it's human to human. Yeah. And it's got, it's got to come from heart to heart, You've got a problem. I can help you. I can fix it. It's not like, oh, how much money can I can I flog this person? Or what what, what can I sell them? It's just yes. the most in, insane concept of, to have possibly about sales. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. And and I think once you get that connection, then a whole lot of interesting things happen. I'm not going to start shopping you around. I'm not going to start comparing your price against everyone else's because now. I trust you and you've done good work for me. So therefore, not only will I refer you to other people, but if you come back to do a piece of work at my place, I'm not going to you know, you know, grind you into the dirt for discounts and all that kind of thing, which I might do with someone who I have no connection with and no relationship with. Because So here's the other thing, in my view, everybody wants a good deal, right? And everyone deserves a good deal. But a good deal doesn't mean the cheapest price, unless you have nothing else. If you've got nothing else, then a good deal has to be the cheapest price. But if you have other things where you say, you know what? 
Um, this is what I offer to, to, to some of my clients. If I'm in the area, you know, once a quarter or whatever, I'll pop in and I'll do a quick health check and I'll do that, you know, at no additional charge. Wow, that's awesome. That's amazing. So, you know, that's a value-adding service that doesn't cost you anymore. It doesn't cost me anymore, but it means I'm much more likely to be sticky to you as a customer. I'm much more likely to refer you to someone else and I'm much less likely to try and drive the cost out of, out of the, you know, the work that you do for me. So I'm not saying that necessarily. There's a million different things we can do. We're only constrained by our, by our creativity and how we, how we differentiate ourselves. The problem is in a lot of industries, there's invisible rules and then we all comply with those invisible rules and we think that's how business is done. And then all the creativity is stifled. I, you know, there's a term I learned years ago called consensus agreement. And we, it's, it's completely invisible, not even documented, just an agreement we have in consensus. And sometimes it's good to break the rules, you know. And it's, uh, always, I did some presentation uh, training with a company once and we were sitting there and I had the CEO sitting beside me and all of the different teams were getting up and presenting. And I was about halfway through the, the session. I said to him, I'm assuming you've mandated that everyone needs to use your corporate slide deck. Is that why they're all doing it? And he goes, no, I hate it. And I was like, so why are they all using it? He goes, I don't know. So he said, sorry, guys, can I just stop? Why are you all using the corporate slide deck all the time? And they're like, well, we have to. And he said, no, you don't. And they're like, I, so they all thought they did. And, and, and it was just this kind of, so they went away and did a whole lot of work and came back and presented this stuff that was amazing and, you know, used storytelling and great visuals. And, and it told an amazing story of this business. And the only reason they hadn't been doing that before was they thought they had to just use all the corporate standard stuff and, and he, he failed to communicate that they actually didn't. And it brings in the personality of the sales individual as well yeah. because then they start to add their own flavor to it and it really feels authentic. It's, again, the heart-to-heart connection. Wow, I love this vibe feeling I'm getting. I love the content they've got. I'm buying from these people. Well, I'm going to go the next you, step. With even you back in the days with Plumber to the Rescue and Plumberto and, you know, that had, it had a personality. It had a sense of humor and it, it flowed through in lots of different ways. So, so you know, that, that's something like if we're going to do a good job, why don't we kind of enjoy it? Why don't we have a bit of fun with it? Why don't we let that fun wash into the interactions we have with customers and we don't have to take ourselves super seriously. That's for sure. No one's getting out of life alive. I've been told that one as well. So, um, <laughs> mate, tell me something. Um, I, I'm going to tweak one of the questions I got here. Tell me something that you think we could take from your corporate experience and that we could kind of, I mean, it's, it's kind of what trends happen to do. Like you can see something in another industry and go, wow, if we edit, tweak it, what can we do to bring that to the trade sector or the field services sector? You, you got any, I know it's a bit of a... Um, no, I've got a, I've got a very clear answer for you. For, sales forecasting. Lovely. Yeah, that's the thing. So I started a small business almost nine years ago, nine years ago in about two weeks time. I came from big corporate to a second bedroom, sitting there going, what have I done? You know, that was the stupidest decision I've ever made. But the first thing I started to do was, was put in a sales forecast. So... Who are all the companies I'm talking to? Where, where are they at in the stages of their buying cycle? You know, where am I at in terms of have I responded to a tender? Have I had a first meeting? Have I, and at any given point in time, I could sort of look at that and say, okay, how are we tracking? And what that gave me <clears throat> was a lot more predictability in my business than most small businesses have. Because, you know, I probably took two things away from the corporate world that were really important. How to sales forecast and how to make sales and how to close sales and, you know, those kind of two skills. So what it meant was I was able to, from a standing start, get a business up and running actually quite quickly and avoid some of those peaks and troughs. Because usually what happens is you land two or three big customers and then the whole focus comes on, how are we going to deliver on this? Shit, shit, shit. We've got to find more people. And we stop, we stop prospecting. And then when we come out of that, you know, kind of height of all of a sudden we're back down here, but now we've got more overheads and more, you know, mouths to feed. And so we're in an even deeper trough. 
So we have to get out of that peak and trough and say, forecast, forecast, forecast. And at the same time, if we can, in any way, shape or form, change our revenue mix. So move away from big project drops, next big project drops, to, to some sort of more consistent monthly revenue if we can. And I know this was something you implemented many years ago in your business where you went, right, here's our 12-month program. This is what you spend each month or each quarter. So, so you flatten out those peaks and troughs in your revenue. Much, much better strategy than doing big drop, big drop. Um, so sales forecasting on the one hand and then a pricing model that allows you to flatten out. I love it. Thank you, mate. A couple of things I want to ask about that. So first of all, we, I mean, to start with, rather than going investing in a CRM, which I still think you should do anyway, but you could just what, set up the deal stages on an Excel spreadsheet, like first contact, first meeting, proposal, something along that. Is that what you're suggesting? Yeah, you could, but I agree with you in relation to a CRM because a CRM is not just a sales forecasting tool. It's actually a customer memory, you know, and, yeah. and the problem with a lot of businesses, and I'm sure it's true in your industry is, like you come and meet me and we have a really good conversation and I tell you some stuff that could be important for your interactions with me in the future. Maybe I say, well, look, I'm going to sell the house in 18 months, but I've got to fi fix some issues or whatever. If you don't capture that in a way that, that you can quickly access that the next time I, you know, the phone rings for me, then you're missing a really, really important sales step. And you keep going back to ground zero instead of building the relationship. So it's like if I meet you and I ask you questions like, oh, mate, are you married and do you have kids and do you play sport? And you tell me that. And then I meet you again. And I ask you those same questions. You're going to think, geez, that's weird. But we do that as a business all the time. We meet people and we, we put, you know, the information in a little black book or on the back of a, an envelope or whatever, and it gets lost. So we're not elevating our, our engagement with them. So there, there's, there's a number of free CRM systems. You can get free access to the basic functionality for nothing, where you can still put in all the information and you can do a sales forecast for free. So there's no excuse not to do it except either I don't want to or I don't understand. And to be honest, neither of those are excuses in, in, in the current world we live in. I think it comes back to similar to the first step we're talking about before when I mentioned that book. Um, it's, I just don't know how to do it. Like, yeah. It's not, it's not that, like I know it's important. I know I want to do it, but I don't know where to start. And literally so what first we see now is just Google it, you know? And that might say, like, <laughs> no, 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 I'm not. I, I say that in depth. No, no, it's true. I, I, I do it all the time. <laughs> Google sales forecasting and it'll show you, you know, here's the five stages. And you go, okay, maybe we can tweak that a little bit for our business. And then Google best free CRM system and it'll come up with 10 and then do a bit of research around that. Yeah. And because they're free, you can, you can kind of have a bit of a, you know, a test. But I don't know how to do that is no longer an excuse. A, because there's so much free information. And B, because businesses that are stuck in the old ways are the ones that are easiest to be disrupted and the easiest to, you know, to kick to the curb. So if you're a business owner, you can't get away with saying, oh, we don't do marketing. Oh, we don't do this. Oh, we don't do that. Because there's ne it's never been easier to do those things. You can outsource, outsource it for next to nothing. You can bring in subject matter experts for next to nothing. So I would say to, to plumbers or electricians, if someone's running a business, first and foremost, you're a business owner. First and foremost, you're, you're, you're an entrepreneur and a founder, and then you're a plumber, and then you're a whatever. Because if you think about it the other way around, I'm a plumber, oh, and maybe I've got a few other plumbers who work for me. That, that to me is, is a mindset of, of kind of not of growth, of, of you know, static. Yeah. You actually need to be thinking of yourself in a slightly different way. That might be, I, I, that, might be uncomfortable. that might be uncomfortable, but that's just my view. 
Mate, I, I, you just, it's, it's funny, you've given me a topic for another uh, podcast about identity and what we see ourselves as. Mm. And we definitely have to start to see us as, as ourselves or already, you should be already on the journey of seeing yourself as a business uh, owner. And mm. I am in the, uh, I'm, I'm a sales and marketing machine for my plumbing service, my electrical service, et cetera. Mm. And you know, obviously that means you need to do a good job. You don't just go flog stuff, but you need to start to see, you, see yourself as a business owner. So, so can I say one last one last little of nugget? So one of the things we do, we, we do a lot of win reviews and loss reviews for, for companies all over the world. So we talk to their customer at the end of the sales cycle. And we did a little exercise about 12 months ago. We went out to a ton of you know, decision makers and procurement people in big businesses. And we asked them a whole lot of questions about their interactions with sales. And then at the end, I kind of threw in a last question, which was, you know, if you could kind of sum up in one or two words, you know, the advice you would give to salespeople, what would it be? And this, you know, we went out to a couple of hundred people all over the world and two words came back consistently, not everyone, but a consistency was, it was listen and understand, right? Listen and understand. Because the big frustration a lot of people have is you show up at my doorstep and you go straight into pitch mode. We, we call it a show up and throw up. And this is my service and we do this and we do that. Hang on. You haven't earned the right yet because, because the first thing you need to be doing, think of yourself like a doctor. The first thing you need to be doing is diagnosing before you start saying, here's the solution. Take the time to understand the problem. Listen, ask questions, ask another question. Customers will teach us how to sell to them if we just ask the right questions and then we shut up and listen instead of going straight into oh, another thing about me and another thing about me. And who cares? Because you haven't earned the right yet. Mate, you're giving me goosebumps. This is a little bit uh, unconventional, but I'm just going to quickly grab one of our T-shirts. Sure. We love what you say, mate. I'm going to make sure you get one in the mail, right? So on the front of the Transformation T-shirt, it says, slow down. And on the back of the Transformation T-shirt, it says, shut up. <laughs> so, no, mate, you couldn't, you couldn't have finished on a, on a better note. I, I do have one last question I'd love to ask you. Sure. Is this something you've learned in the last little while that's really been, it doesn't have to even be sales, it can be a performance hack, it could be anything along those lines, anything you picked up maybe in the last couple of months that you'd love to share with our listeners? Look, one of the things I've noticed in the last couple of months since the pandemic particularly is that people are actually on both sides, both customers and, and, and vendors, if we call it that, are being much more honest and authentic and, and just being themselves. And I think just you know asking people how they're going like particularly for, for you guys, because a lot of people haven't had a ton of human interaction in recent months. And so a tradie coming might actually be, you know, the, the most exciting thing that happens that day for some people. So before you, before you get into the, you know, what's going on with your pipes or what's going on, just, just check in with people. How are you going? How's the last couple of months been? How are, you know, uh, you know, how are things for you? It might seem like such a, such a, a simple thing or such a, a dumb thing, but actually, what it's doing is it's allowing that little bit of human connection to occur at the very front and then being, being, you know, authentically yourself. So if they ask, how are you going? And you've had a tough time or your business has taken a nosedive or you're, you've struggled with home-based learning with your kids or it doesn't, just, you know, just be yourself, be authentically yourself and you'll, you'll, you'll do really well. Don't, don't pretend you're someone you're not. Don't follow a script. Just, just, yeah. you know, care just just leave with empathy and you'll be amazed at, at what you get back in return mate i i can't think enough i love that it is a great way to finish this up on keen's been very very generous and we have copies of his uh book the rebirth of a salesman i've read it myself it's fantastic even though it's not trade-based it definitely has stories and scenarios that we could relate to as tradies 
Ken McLaughlin, thank you so much, sir. We, we love having you on. Look forward to doing another one in maybe in a year or so's time. And uh, mate, have a great, uh, yeah, with the remainder of 2020, have a great year. And thank you so much for your time today, mate. Thanks, Adrian. It's great to be here. Cheers, mate. Thank you for tuning in today's episode of Transformational. For more on Kian, you can check out Trinity Perspectives website at www.trinityperspectives.com.au. Plus, Kian has been very generous in offering us a free copy of his best-selling book, The Rebirth of the Salesman, with listeners today. You can download that right now in the show notes. That's all for now. I love you all, and I can't wait to see you in the next episode.